While our ushers are still taking up offering, um, we want to create some space for just um, two quick announcements. Um, a couple weeks ago, I had the privilege and honor of speaking at the Governor's Initiative here in Popper Bluff. Um, Todd Richardson was there, and they were speaking about um, basically not an epidemic, but the epidemic through prescription drug abuse. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the United States only makes up 5% of the world's population. Uh, newsflash, the world does not revolve around us, actually. And so we're very small, but we can consume 80% of the world's opiates. And so this is not a issue, it is the issue. And so I was able to speak at this and had my sidekick, Mr. John G., there. And um, he's going to come forward and talk about um, one of the cool things that we have here at Westside, which is the Redemption Group, which meets Monday nights at 6.30. It's a recovery group for anybody of any walk of life, and they're starting some new things. So give Mr. John G. your full attention and a round of applause this morning. Hello. I'm much more nervous this time than first service. Uh, yes, Redemption Group is Monday nights, 6.30. I always forget to do that part, so I'm going to do it first. Uh, it's for the whole family is what I really want to get across is we see lives change. You know, if you want to come and work on your addiction problem, that's great, but also bring the family with you. You know, if you have a loved one that's struggling with addiction, come with them to this class. Learn how you can help deal with it as well. Because it's going to be a struggle for you if old Jason's over there smoking crack and <laughs> you don't know how to deal with it and how warning signs and stuff like that will help with that. And through this ministry, we've seen, I'm not going to mention her name because she's sitting in here, but <laughs> her husband came and then she started coming. She got baptized. Her three kids got baptized. Yeah. Woo! Amen. Amen. I don't think she's ever struggled with any drug or alcohol, but just... That's the kind of stuff we're looking for, and we're looking for leaders to help with this and then just help keep spreading the word and the gospel of Jesus and just help us to teach about Jesus and how to live like Jesus. Thank you, guys. One of the exciting things is um, this Monday they're going to be starting a new study uh, entitled Jesus Is. And so um, if you've been wanting to come, don't know when to come, when's a good time not to, this Monday at 6.30 here in this church is a great time for you to come and be a part of that. And then secondly, um, we uh, have a real specific prayer request. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Paul Woods who's a founding member here at Westside. And this beautiful wood ceiling and these archways, um, Paul years ago was a part of the crew of men who actually installed all of this. And um, Paul is 80 plus years old. And a couple weeks ago, Paul fell, um, broke his hip. He's got a steel rod in there. He's actually in Oakdale Nursing Home uh, in room 109. For those of you who know Paul, he would love to see you, love to visit with you. But one of the things is um, he fell while he was there at the nursing home. And so he's not doing the greatest. And I saw him yesterday and he just said, uh, I'm too old and I'm too tired, is basically what he said. And then his specific response was, please have uh, my dear family and Westside congregation pray for me. And so we are a church that believes in the power of prayer. Amen. And so uh, I want to bow our heads and pray. I'm going to pray out loud and I want you where you're at to specifically pray for Paul, for his healing and for his health. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and as your body here at Westside. And God, we come before you and intercede upon Paul's behalf. God, we're thankful for the Woods family and the legacy that they have left here and what they have built here at Westside, literally built with their hands. And we worship at their benefit because of that. 
And God, we pray right now for peace and for healing. God, we're thankful for the doctors. We're thankful for the hospitals. We're thankful for the nurses. But God, we ask and appeal to a higher court today upon Paul's behalf. We pray that you would touch his body in a very real way. We pray that you would give him strength in his heart and in his mind that he would endure. And God, we pray what Paul said in Romans, that this present suffering does pale in comparison to the future weight of glory that does behold Paul. And God, we pray for Elaine, that her shoulders would be strong as she carries this burden right now in their life. And God, we pray for us as Westside, that we would have strong hands to carry the burden that they carry right now as a family. And we intercede for them, and we pray in agreement, and we pray in faith, and we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's church said, amen, amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn it to Matthew chapter 6 and give your attention to the reading of the text today. Well, I was going to say enough of the mushy stuff, but Galatians tells us to bear one another's burdens and we fulfill the law of Christ in doing so. So that is not mushy stuff. We are living active as the church when we pray for Paul. Matthew chapter 6, we are going to be in verses 16 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, there's a paperback Bible right there in front of you. If you don't own one, take that. That's our gift to you. Uh, When I'm finished reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord and you say, thanks be to God. Beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Hopefully you have your Bible in front of you, like Pastor Tyler said. If you don't have one or own one, there's one in the pew back in front of you. We want to give you God's Word as a gift. Um, if, it's your, if it's your first time here, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been in it for quite some time. And I realize that we're going to be in it so long that we're going to pause, take a break, go into Advent, and then after Advent, come back and finish it, uh, because I know no greater thing than to go by God's Word line by line. And so have you enjoyed the series so far? Has it been good? Yeah, I think it's been um, really eye-opening. And so we're here, the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. But we're in a specific section here in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is talking to us about our spiritual disciplines, that there are actually things in our life that we can do as a rhythm in our relationship with God. And he breaks it down through giving, praying, and then today, fasting. And what I love about Jesus is the whole time that he's been doing this, He's been saying, basically, there's some disciplines that you need to do, but you need to be careful. You need to be careful when you do these things, and you need to check your motivation. And I love that Jesus has said that because he's always getting to really the heart of the matter with us. He doesn't just want some sort of robotic relationship. He wants a true and authentic relationship. And today we're pretty in a pretty peculiar, it's only three verses, but the topic is fasting. And I know what some of you are saying, like, man, we really picked a Sunday to come visit West. I'm talking about fasting today, right? Uh, Just curious, how many of you have never, uh, when you've attended church, been in church, how many of you have never heard really a study or a sermon on fasting before? Just throw your hand up. Throw your hand up, right, right, okay. The unique thing about it is it's either like 
not talked about at all, and so it sort of crawls off the table. Or if it is talked about, it's almost like borderline superstitious, like there's these things and stuff added into that. But maybe as a way of introduction, um, I have in one of the walls in my office, if you've ever been there, um, some heroes of the faith who mean a lot to me. And there's some guys that hang on my office in there, and one of them is this man by the name of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was an Anglican preacher who became one of the greatest evangelists known uh, really in modern history. And you can't actually learn about the birthing of the United States of America apart from George Whitfield. It's sad to say that they don't teach that in school, but one of his best friends was Benjamin Franklin. And so um, he has been said to be the greatest preacher of the English language. He preached somewhere around 18,000 sermons, and historians agree that he preached to an audience after, when in, on his death to an audience of almost 10 million people. And he was actually a very troubled man because in the beginning when he was walking with Christ and trying to understand this relationship, he fell back into sort of a legalistic relationship. And he thought that he really had to strive and that he had to do all of these things in order for God to be pleased with him. And in a journal entry in 1769, he wrote these words. I began to fast twice a week for 36 hours altogether, prayed many times a day, received the sacrament every Lord's Day. I fasted myself almost to death all the 40 days of Lent, during which I made it a point of duty never to go less than three times a day to public worship, besides seven times a day to my private prayers. Yet... I knew no more that I was to be born again, a new creation in Jesus Christ, than if I had never been born at all. That terrifies me. What he's saying is, I did all of these things, and I no more knew Christ than if I had never been born. And George Whitfield understood that it's grace that saves us. And that it is a new creation. That it is not something that we add to our life. And it's not a rhythm. And it's not something that we do in hopes that God will love us. But that God loves us in and through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And then when he understood that, everything changed in his life. And I believe that that's what Jesus is teaching in this passage. And so we've had the same big idea over these past couple of weeks. And I want us to read this out loud together. But this is what we've been working with, right? Lift up your voices and read this out loud together with me. In my relationship with Jesus, what I do is not as important as why I do it. Listen, I believe that that little sentence can change your life. It's not just this idea of coming to church. It's not just this idea. Listen, I believe that there are many people like George Whitfield sitting in the pews today, and they are exhausted in this thing that they call Christianity. Because in the reality, it's not what we do that's so important, but rather why we do it. And so in this understanding of fasting, we're going to, today's going to be a little bit more teachy than it is preachy. Don't worry, I'll still yell at you. It's West Side, man. Come on. You know what I'm saying? But what we're going to do is kind of build some framework around this text, and then we're going to work into it. And listen, I can't escape the fact. Look at verse 18, the first three words, and when you fast. I can't get past that. 
Jesus, Jesus thought that the topic of fasting was important enough to address it in one of the most important sermons that he had ever preached. And so what we need to do is we need to do a little bit of background. In the Old Testament, fasting is mentioned all over the place. But here's what's interesting. It is actually only commanded of God one time and for one day in Scripture. And this is what God says to Moses or Charlton Heston in Leviticus 23, okay? He, sa- he says these words, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now on the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. The word afflict yourselves is where we get the word fasting from. And so the day of atonement, oh, it was the day in the Old Testament. It was the day when everybody traveled from everywhere and all of the family members and everybody came to the temple and the great high priest stood in the same position and he was there and he was offering the animal sacrifices as in one Old Testament scholar said that literally the floor of the temple would have been bathed in blood because the people of Israel understood that their God was holy and that they would bring a sacrifice and hope in faith that God would provide a greater sacrifice for them to atone and to forgive sins. And on that day, they would fast. But you know what the Pharisees did? They did exactly what we do. They thought, wow, one day of fasting, that's great. You know what must be better than that? A hundred days of fasting. If God told us to do it once, and we take it, I mean, to the limit and do it a hundred times, God will clearly love us more, right? And so when Moses went up on the mountain on Thursday to meet with God and get the Ten Commandments, he came down on the mountain on Monday, and they added on Thursdays and Mondays they should fast as well. Listen, the Pharisees literally fasted a hundred days out of a year. And they thought, wow, God would love us more. And in reality, Jesus is correcting this view. But when you get into the New Testament, the New Testament has a lot to say about fasting. It's actually mentioned 30 times in the New Testament. And some of the major fasts are Jesus, obviously, in Matthew chapter 4, when he's tempted and goes into the wilderness. He fasts for 40 days and goes in filled with the Spirit. And then we see the Apostle Paul in Acts um, in Acts chapter 9, when he is converted, he fasts for days after his conversion. Then we see the entire church corporately fasting in Acts chapter 13 in Antioch. And then we see the elders at the church in Lystra. They pray and fast as to appoint new elders. So what we see is the rhythm of fasting is very clearly in the New Testament. But the game changer is what's Jesus changing about fasting? What's the motivation behind this? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn over a page or two pages in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, okay? God forbid you use your Bible and, and, and learn and use it in church, right? Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to be in verse 14. Love hearing those Bible pages turn. I'm going to read it, and then here it is, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. 
For the patch tears away for the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is the new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. You're like, wow, Jason, that's as clear as mud. I'm more confused before you read that passage. Here's the deal. Here's the background, okay? So... John's disciples, you remember John, John the Baptist in the Bible, right? He was the original paleo guy before it was cool, CrossFit and all that stuff. He wore the camel's hair and ate locusts and honey and all that stuff before it was cool. And so he prepares the way for Christ, and he had some followers. And the followers come up, and they go, hey, uh, hey, bro, you're, the hey, bro is actually in the Greek. You just can't see it. They come up to Jesus, and they say, hey, bro, our, we fast. The Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast. What's the deal? And Jesus breaks into an analogy. And he said, why would people at a wedding fast? Because the bridegroom is there and present. This is a time of feasting, not fasting. But there will be a time where the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. Here's what Jesus is saying. My disciples don't fast because I'm present and with them. The kingdom of God is here and now, but I will be taken away from them. And when I'm taken away from them, then they will fast. And then he uses the analogy of a new cloth and an old cloth, old, a new wine and old wineskins. And here's what Jesus is saying. Oh, don't miss this. Christianity is not an addition to your life. Christianity, like you don't, Jesus doesn't come into your life and then just improve it. Jesus is not an accessory in your life. He is the necessity in your life. Listen, Christianity is not an addition to something old. Rather, it is the creation of something new. Just what John was saying, that when a family comes and they're baptized and they give their life to Christ, it's not to improve their old way of life, but rather to create a new way of life. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm changing the game on this. And now you and I, we live in the tension because Christ has come, amen? Oh, he has come and he is risen and he will come again. And now we are in the in-between. And so what we need to do is we need to look first and foremost as to what fasting is not. We need to look at what fasting is not and then we can get a working definition of it. First off, fasting is not the harming of the body to please God. That's not fasting. That's the theological term called aestheticism. And the Apostle Paul dresses that in the book of Colossians. And he says, there are people who harm their body and abstain from certain things in hopes that they will please God. And then he says this, they will gain nothing. Listen to me, there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And what we understand in Isaiah 53, it says that by his wounds we are healed and that it pleased the father to crush the son and that upon him were the sins and iniquities laid upon us all. Listen, Jesus Christ bore our penalties. Fasting is not something that we do to harm our body to make God love us more. Secondly, it's not this. Fasting is not magic to make God move. Oftentimes, that's misunderstood in church. Like there's fasting, and then God's all of a sudden like, oh, I got to do something. I got to do something. Look at what they're doing, right? Like, like, yo, have you ever tried to give God an ultimatum before in your prayer life? How'd that work out for you, right? You still waiting? You know what I mean? It's not something that we do and force the very hand of God. Newsflash, he is God, you are not. 
Okay, welcome to Westside. We're real positive here, okay? It's not magic to make God move. But the greatest misconception that I believe that fasting is is this last one. Fasting is not a guarantee to answered prayers. Fasting is not a guarantee to answered prayers. How many people are so dis... Listen, do you know what that is? That means that you think that God has something in his hand, and if you do this, then God is forced to give you that something. And what you're doing is you're not fasting because you love God. You're fasting because you love what God's got. And you're loving the gift over the giver. That's not what it is. So then what is fasting? What is fasting? Let's work with this definition. Fasting is the voluntary denying of physical needs in order to fully devote ourselves to God. I believe every word of that is is very important. Fasting is voluntary. It's not something that I can demand of you, Lord over you, right? Because then we get into legalities here and legalism. It's a voluntary denying of physical needs. And most of the time in the scripture, it's always food or water, right? Now, it's 2017. There's people who do like technology fasts and probably a lot more of you need to do social media fasts just to be quite honest with you, okay? Right? But don't do this. Fasting from social media for a while. All right, we'll get to that in just a minute, okay? Right? But it's a denying of physical needs in order to what? In order to fully devote ourselves to God. It's not just a denying of something, but a devotion to something. What we are doing is we're saying, I don't want this in my life because I want more of this in my life. And listen, the scriptures, they speak so much to food. You're like, Jason, I was going to go eat at Ryan's today, and now you're preaching a sermon, right? I mean, think about it. Bible opens with a meal. What did the enemy tempt Eve with? Am I preaching yet? Am I, are you uncomfortable? Welcome, Right? Then we see Jesus sit down at the table, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it. He says, this is my body that is a meal. Oh, and praise be to God, the Bible ends with the meal, with the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a lot to be said about food in the Scriptures. And what we see is that this is a spiritual discipline that God has given us to shed this earthly thing that, listen, creeps on you in ways that you don't even realize. But I think we need another thing, and it's this. Fasting is left to the discretion of an individual believer. That's very important for you to understand. Most of the time, it's in mourning and in times of distress in the New Testament. It's not in times of celebration, because Jesus said that's inappropriate. But when there's loss, when there's heartache, when there's urgency, when there is sin, when there is this, then we understand this. I love what the father uh, of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, said. We do not, therefore, object to fasting itself, but to the fact that it is represented as a necessary duty and that the specific days have been fixed for its performance. We see in uh, Galatians, in 1 Timothy, in Colossians, that there were false teachers that came in and said, on this day, you can't do this and you can't do this. And the Apostle Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't function on that calendar anymore. You cannot bind people to something like that. But we understand that it is obviously something that's regular that our Lord demanded of us, right? And so now, why fast? Why? What's the point of this? 
if you remember back in the Beatitudes, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, verse 6, Jesus says these words. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is using the senses. He's saying that there's something innate about us that when we enter into this discipline that we should hunger and that we should thirst for God in such a way as the same way in which we hunger and thirst for food itself. And so fasting is a spiritual discipline that aids in increasing our appetite for God. That's the key to fasting. That's the sentence. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that aids in increasing our appetite for God. Just think about it. Think about it. When you look at the worthiness and the beauty and the glory and the supremacy of who Jesus Christ is, for he upholds the universe with the very words that are spoken out of his mouth, and that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and that by him, in him, through him, and for him were all things made. Oh, this is our God. This is Christ. And then you compare your appetite for him, they pale in comparison. They pale in comparison. And I even deal with this. This past week, there was a dear lady in our church who came by and dropped off as a gift what I would consider just to be pure bread from heaven. And she laid a coconut cream pie right on my desk. (laughs) Thanks be to God. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do unto the glory of God. Amen, right? And I was running out to a lunch meeting. And and listen, all, all through lunch, all through lunch, I was like, I cannot wait to get back to the church and grab a cup of coffee and eat like three pieces of that coconut cream pie. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I was just, I was like craving this thing and thinking about this. And what Jesus says is there's something in our lives in which we should crave God that way. Wilbur Reeves is a poet and an evangelical preacher. And in the height of the 60s and 70s, when there was so much racism and everything happening within the church, he wrote a poem entitled, Three Dollars Worth of God. And he wrote it and said, this is actually the state of the church. The people actually say they want God, but they don't really want God. And these are his words. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy just $3 worth of God, please. God, come into my kid's life. Oh, God, move into my kid's life. But, oh, God, what if you actually gave them a hunger for your word and a hunger for your son that they surrendered their entire life to you and became missionaries right in the middle of Afghanistan? I don't know about that. Keep them safe. Oh, God, please work in my marriage and transform my life, but please don't change my spouse too much because I actually love harboring unforgiveness and I love trying to make them pay. Oh God, please don't actually change my life so much that I don't surrender all of my possessions and count everything that I have as a loss for knowing the sake and the worth of Christ. 
See, listen, I believe that our appetites are so low for God. And one of the ground evidences that we can do and understand this is when we begin to deny fleshly cravings and just food itself. I mean, look at all of the ads that you get from that Big Mac and from all of those things and all of that satisfaction. Listen, there is a lot to be said about our appetites for God. But I believe that fasting aids in increasing our appetite in three main areas. The first one is this, an urgency for God. An urgency for God. Listen to me. You want to shoot a flare? You want to sound an alarm? You want to hit the fire alarm? Fasting will do this. It'll give you an urgency for God. You got a prodigal child? Your marriage three months away from a divorce? You in a financial crisis? Got some health things going on? Listen, fasting brings it to the top of the list. And in that moment, what you're saying is, I don't need grandma's advice. I don't need some junk Dr. Phil advice. What I need in my life is the very word of God. And in this moment, I'm going to deny my physical pleasures. I'm going to deny all of this because I want my appetite to be so much and I count Christ as being so worthy and beautiful that I need God right now. That's what I need. It's an urgency for God in light of that. And the second thing is this. It gives you a clarity of God. It gives you a clarity of God. Because oh my, how easily do we make and fashion God in our own hands rather than who he is of the God of the Bible. You know, every time God appeared to somebody in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they dropped as though dead. They just dropped down. It wasn't like, oh, look, it's Jesus as my homeboy, peace and love and a crown of daisies, right? Oh, Jesus is hanging on the cross. Oh, you're breaking Jesus' heart. Listen, Jesus will break you, bro. Revelation, where he comes back and his robe is dipped in blood and from his mouth comes a two-edged sword by which he judges the nations. Listen, he is the God of the cosmos and that fiery star that is burning in our universe, he spoke it into existence. That's how powerful our God is. And when you understand and deny yourselves of those worldly pleasures and you begin to have the scales of this world fall from your flesh and from your eyes, you begin to behold the glory of Jesus Christ. It gives us a pure clarity. But in this, it also gives us an intimacy with God. It gives us an intimacy. When you approach God in a way in which you approach a glass of water in the middle of July with no air conditioning after mowing your lawn, it will do things in your life. God will be revealed. It is a very intimate way. Because listen, you're not just denying. Don't focus on just the denying. It's not about the denying. It's about the devotion. It's about being devoted. And when you say right now in this season and in this time span, in my marriage, in my life, in my kid's life, in this sin, in these finances, in this sickness, in this, I need to know you in a way that I've never known you before. Listen, you don't think, if you think any prayer God will answer, he'll answer that. He will answer that. But how do we do this? How do we do this? I think now we're back to the text in Matthew chapter 6. There's only really two principles here in the text that Jesus uh, tells us how to do this, and I love this. The first way, how do you fast? You forget about other people. Look at what he says, verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Remember, we learned about them, the people that wear masks. They do something for one reason, but in reality, they have another motivation. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
And truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Do you know who the Pharisees were? They were this guy at work, right? Coming to work, going to the lounge. Hey, Bill, what'd you bring for lunch today? Oh, I didn't bring anything today. Nothing today. Oh, okay. Hey, Bill, you going to go to the staff lunch? Oh, no, brother. Oh, no, today I'm fasting for God. This is for God today. But you guys go enjoy your lunch. You guys are fine. You go eat at Ryan's and gorge yourself. I'll just be here at work. Just my little old self, just fasting for God, right? Right? Down with that guy, man. Jesus is not for that guy, okay? What he's saying is, listen, forget about other people. It's not about that. It's not about other people. And oftentimes, we don't fast because we either, we, we fast either because we want recognition or you don't fast because you're worried about what other people might actually say. And Jesus says that we do this in secret, in secret. Now, that doesn't mean that's not corporate fasting. We saw the New Testament church do that. I love what Dallas Willard says. He puts it this way. One of the greatest fallacies of the Christian faith, and actually one of the greatest acts of unbelief, is the thought that the spiritual acts and virtues need to be advertised to be known. I love this sentence. Secrecy rightly practices enables one to place the public relations department entirely in the hands of God. We allow God to decide when deeds will be known and when light will be noticed. What he's saying is this. When you practice this and do this in secret, God, is, God knows. God knows what you're doing. So if it needs to be known in public, God will allow circumstances and situations in which that is known in public. But until then, don't give a rip about what anybody thinks, okay? And then secondly this, forget about yourself. Don't just forget about other people, but forget about yourself And look at what he says. He only gives us two principles in verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. But Jason, what's the big deal about washing your head and washing your face and anointing your head? What's weird about that? Nothing. It's normal. And what Jesus is saying is, don't be weird, be normal, right? Shower. Be nice, right? Junior high kids, you listening, right? Okay, shower. Axe deodorant body spray does not count as a shower, all right? Especially the chocolate flavor because it smells horrible, like burning hair. But anyway, that's a different story, okay? What Jesus is saying is this. Listen, go about your normal daily routine. Be normal. Don't be weird because here's what we do in our spiritual disciplines. We focus on giving. We focus on praying. And we focus on fasting and we focus on the discipline so much that we neglect the very God that we're doing it for. Like you do this with working out, right? You focus so much on working out, you forget the very reason why you're working out. And we focus so much on the very discipline itself that, listen, it's not just about the denial, it's about the devotion. We're not just denying ourselves of these worldly pleasures, but we're also devoting ourselves unto God. But what are some fundamentals that I can give you now? Now, this is practical, okay? This is just Jason here. Some fasting fundamentals, because I think we need some help with this. Listen, we need to enter into this, ease into these things. We're like babies learning how to walk. When you first learn how to swim, you don't jump in current river, okay? Maybe if you're from Donovan, you do. I don't know. But, like, you got to learn and take these things slowly. The first thing that you need to do is this. You need to plan it. Plan when you're going to fast. Like, newsflash, Thanksgiving's not the best time to fast, okay? Your birthday, not a great time to fast, all right? 
plan a specific time for this. Did you know, actually, in our English language that fasting is in our vernacular? Breakfast. Break the word down. Break fast. It comes from Judeo history. They would fast the last meal of the evening, say their prayers, and when the sun would rise, they would break their fast. See, you come to church and learn something. Plan it. Have a specific time for that. But secondly, prepare for it. You can enter in. You can, this can be a juice fast. This can be a water fast. This can be something like that. It's denying yourself something. But listen, also be careful. There's some health things in this. Listen, if you're diabetic in here, don't just jump into a fast and go into a seizure on us, okay, right? If you're pregnant, if you're hypoglycemic, like consult your doctor, do some of these things. We can ease into this and understand this. There's no like mystery and secrecy in regards to this, okay? We can prepare for this. But lastly, this is the key. We pray through it. Everywhere in the New Testament, when fasting is mentioned, mentioned, prayer is mentioned. You can pray without fasting, but you cannot fast without prayer. And what you were doing in those moments when you're denying your physical needs, what was it that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4? Man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the very mouth of God. So in those moments, we are denying ourselves, but then we're feasting on the word of God. We're praying through it, and God is doing things in our life. This is the discipline that Jesus has given us. And do you know where we get the word discipline from? Do you know what the root word of discipline is? I'll give you a guess. I'll give you a guess. It's in the word disciple. Disciple. Parents, when we discipline our kids, we're discipling our kids. Disciple. We're doing these things as a disciple. So I have a challenge for you. I want to make this very practical. I want you to plan a fast from one meal. Listen, you do this on your own time. You can do that. Work, talk with your spouse about this. Work out the family schedule. Do whatever you want to do. Plan a fast, one meal, and then read the Sermon on the Mount from start to finish. It'll take you about 15 minutes at a fifth grade reading level. And feast on the very word of God. And do something. This is very near and dear to my heart. Um, there's been a few times in me and my wife's life where, where we've entered into a fast and a time together. And there was a season in our life where I had just stepped down from a church that I was working at. And I did not know what was next in my life at all. I was going to pack the whole family up and we, I was going to go to seminary. And I just didn't know what we were going to do. And I was in a season of just uncertainty. I did not know. I, I, I had an urgency for God. I needed clarity. I needed the intimacy. I needed all of these things. I got a phone call from a church in Crown Point, Indiana pursuing me to be on staff there. And we went out there and it was just glitz and glamour, phenomenal church. And it was almost like everything I'd ever wanted and desired in the world. I mean, they took us out to eat at a country club where Michael Jordan was the member. And I was like, sold, I'll work here. You know what I mean? Like it was just everything. And then while we were out there and before we left, I got a call from another church. Westside Church of God in Popper Bluff, Missouri. I'd heard about it like a couple times in my life. And we flew out there and it was just so much uncertainty and we didn't know, we didn't feel like it was right, but everybody was like, man, this seems to be right. And when we got back, I had an interview process here and they had asked me to turn in my resume and I said, absolutely not. And I turned it in and we had a conversation in a room. It's been remodeled. It's not even there anymore. And we were there and in the season of time, we just came into a time of prayer together and we just fasted. We just said, God, we need you to tell us. We, 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 we got to figure this out. We were reading scriptures. We knew what God's will was. 
And after the meeting, two little old ladies pulled me and Courtney aside, and they said, well, how did Indiana go? How did it go? I said, we're not really sure. You know, we're very uncertain right now in this season of life. And one little old lady looked me and my wife in the eyes and said, well, we sure feel that God's calling you to be our pastor. And do you know how I know that fasting created something in my life? Because you're sitting in those pews. There were 25 votes for me and my wife to come here, and we averaged close to 400 people on the Sunday attendance between both services. Because, listen, when you have an urgency for God and you desire that intimacy and you need that clarity, God has given us something and he says there are things in your life that you can move around, that you can deny, and that you can put on the back burner. And when you put those on the back burner and you enter into a specific planned, prepared, prayed through season, there are times where I will meet you in light of this. And listen, Westside, I want us to be this type of people. I want us to be a called out people who live differently in the world. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the world declares that that their stomach is their gods and that whatever appetite that they have, whatever they want, they indulge in. And all that is the satisfaction of our world. Have sex with whoever you want to. Engage with whatever you want to. Whatever desire that you have, enter in and engage with that. But as Christians, we say that there is a greater joy and there's something greater out there for us and we We will block it out. We will fight for it and we will pursue it. And we believe that person is Christ. And God has given us these disciplines for us. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response. And here's simply my prayer for you. It's found in Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Listen to me. you got a crisis in your life right now? You got something that you need to shoot the flare in, sound the alarm, call the troops, make this happen. If this doesn't happen, I don't know what's going to happen right now. God's given you a tool and he's given you a way. But it's not just about the denying. It's about the devotion. And God says that we use our senses. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We participate in that. In just a moment, you're going to come to the tables and you're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and I pray, I pray for those of us in this room who have a serious need right now and serious needs call for serious times. May we be a disciplined people, a people who are disciples, who create rhythms in our lives. But more than that, more than that, what we do is not as important as why we do it. And may our motivation be to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this in the mighty and in the precious and the holy name of Christ.